It is Monday, August 1st here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smolin. Jared, we're in new digs today. It's going to have to, I, I got to get used to staring you in the face when I'm saying these things instead of staring into the camera on my computer sure. and, you know, pretending that I'm saying it to your face. I, I, I feel like we made it. Like, we're, we're big <laughs> right? time now. We're in, a, we're in studio. It's August. That's, you know, fantasy football draft season. Let's do it. Well, I'll probably try to keep the takes a little bit less controversial today since we are in studio physically and keep from fighting the first time we'll save that because we've got all month that we're going to be doing this and we're going to have adam and mike joining us so definitely it'd be like a free-for-all format there but today i think we'll keep it fairly mild and we're going to talk injury stuff because I, i mean We'll get to the why for us in particular, but you get to this time of year and people just talk about injuries. They're like, yeah, Christian McCaffrey is great until he's out for the year in week two. And you're like, that's a stupid take. But until you put some numbers to that, it is just one person saying something and another person saying something else. And it just sounds like two opinions. That's kind of the point of the Draft Sharks injury guide, right? Yeah, kind of a buzzkill here talking about injuries (laughs) injuries <laughs> you know not, not the not the most fun part of fantasy football but um yeah i mean i think you have two groups of people one will say injuries are not predictable which you know we disagree with and then the other group of people will say you know yeah i can predict these things but i'm going to do it just out of nowhere right. and you know that's obviously not the way to go either and yeah so we predict injuries with this injury guide they're not going to be perfect our player projections are not even close to perfect but if these injury predictions can be any bit better than a random guess, then you know that's another edge that you have as a drafter over your competition. Yeah, and that's the point of all predictions. None of them will be perfect. Right. So it's all about stacking. That, that That's why analytics rule sports at this point. It's not that one method tells you perfectly what's going to happen because it's sports and there's always going to be, you know, variations. So it's all about stacking on all these different probabilities to just to get as many advantages as you can built in to set yourself up to be able to take advantage of that luck. So we are talking injuries today because it's especially important in football and we will get to specifically why by positions. But first, let's get into what the Draft Sharks Injury Guide is, what it does. We've had it there for several years now. It was Sports Injury Predictor. Yep. It's been wrapped into Draft Sharks now, but it's the same great data. It's the same algorithm powering everything. It's the most extensive, most detailed database of player injury histories that you're going to find anywhere. It's collected by hand. It's not some computer screwing things up. It's people finding these injuries, entering them into a database. So we know, you know, we find the reports, we put them in, we give as much information as we can on each injury. And you can find those histories. Just search any player injury history. You're going to find this database first because that's how good it is. Yeah, and we uh, spent some time doing that injury data collection. Uh, you know, can't say it's it was the fun. most fun thing. It's painstaking, but it's awesome and it's super useful to have now. Like you said, I mean, it is the most detailed injury database you're going to find. Um, you know, we have obviously entire NFL injury histories. We have college injuries when possible. That's a little tougher because you know mm-hmm. these colleges don't need to report on this stuff. A lower body. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> it's, it's a little like hockey injury reports if you're if you're familiar. I know Matt's not familiar with hockey <laughs> stuff, but I didn't. Um, thought, I thought they didn't get hurt. I thought just, they just kept playing, right. punched well, each they, other. They keep playing, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the level of detail we get to, like, I mean, obviously we have, it's not just this guy hurt his knee. It's, you know, the 
type of injury, the severity of the injury, um, side of the body, which is surprisingly hard to find in yeah. a lot of cases. So we have that when possible, you know, the date of the injury, date of return, whether the guy had surgery, when that surgery took place. So it's anything you can ask for as far as injury goes, you know, it's, it's here. You can find it in the injury guide database. Uh, that's just one of the things that I drive myself nuts with. It's like, okay, Derek Henry broke his foot. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's got two of those guys. <laughs> yeah. Can we just say which foot it is? And then you go searching for it. You're like Derek Henry, Derek Henry left foot in parentheses. And all you find a sea of reports, his foot, his elbow, his arm. Just, just, if you're not sure, just ask. And if they won't tell you, then report that they won't tell you. Cause then we can all make fun of the team for not telling you. I I remember having to go back collecting some of these injuries and trying to find the clip of the play where the injury happened. I mean, you know, Derek Henry didn't need to do that, but some of these right. lower level guys that don't get reported on as much, you know, we had to go back and actually look at the video clip and know <laughs> it's obviously his right shoulder he hurt there. And you think at the time too, it's like, whatever, dude, it's an elbow. It doesn't matter. Well, what happens the next time right. he hurts an elbow? It's like, is it the same one? Is it the other one? So that's why it matters. And we certainly get as much of that as we can. Um, surgery dates. So we know not only how long it's been since the injury, but how long since it's actually been repaired because a lot of times these things don't get repaired till a month later you know we had michael thomas who had his injury a long time before he actually had surgery finally in the middle of last year so that's a whole different date from his injury date there and then it all goes into feed the algorithm, which, you know, drives the world at this point. Yeah, and that, I think that's beyond our uh, level <laughs> yeah. of knowledge. Don't ask me we, to have our, that. we have our data scientists working on that. Yeah, it is. It is. I've been told it's a machine learning model that, you know, take, <laughs> takes all of these injuries. That's scary. Um, yeah. And again, tr- tries to, you know, uses all that data and goes back and looks at, you know, what predicted injuries in the past. And, you know, the three things that we found predict future injuries, the Biggest one is projected touches in the coming season. That makes sense. The more times you get tackled, the more collisions, the bigger chance of injury. And that, that to me, is kind of the catch-22 with all this is, like, we want guys that are going to get a lot of touches, but a lot of touches also means higher injury risk. So that's kind of the, the balancing line you're, you're trying to, you know, um, handle there. The the two other things that impact injuries, the two, two other biggest things, there's, you know, a list of, like, 10 to 15 things, but um, days since last injury, is important. And then also just the, the player's past injury history. We actually use durability score, which is career games divided by uh, career games missed, which you know, is essentially a fancy way of looking at how many uh, times this guy's been hurt and how many games he's missed relative to how long he's been in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And the projected touches aspect, I think, is especially interesting because if you think about it, like when you first read it, you're probably like, how does that matter when the next two things are directly injury related? But if you think about it, it makes sense. Which position gets hit the most by injuries running back? We need only look back to last year for Derrick Henry as a guy who had been totally healthy through two years of workhorse use. And then it's like, there's no reason to expect Derrick Henry to be an injury risk broken foot in the middle of the year, just because that, that kind of, takes the luck into account. The more times you carry the ball, the more likely you are to get hurt at some point, even if you never had a previous hamstring injury. And that's why it's especially important, I think, in comparing running backs. Like people want to talk about Christian McCaffrey right now because we've had two straight years of him missing a lot of time. Just because of that doesn't make him a greater injury risk than everybody else at this position where everybody's likely to get hurt at some point. And this is where I think another area where the pass catching backs have a big edge, right? Because we know in a PPR league, what is it? You know, targets are worth two and a half times more points than carries. So these running backs 
can rack up more fantasy points on fewer touches if they're doing a lot of it in the passing game. That's your Christian McCaffrey's, your DeAndre Swift's, your Austin Eckler's, those type of guys. Now you can you can kind of get the best of both worlds where you're getting mm-hmm. the fantasy points, but you're not getting as many touches as someone like Derrick Henry, who you know. 95% of his of his touches are carries. And of course, this whole discussion is why we care so much about who the handcuff is, is in a specific situation, because even if you're not going to draft the handcuff to your running back, then we're looking at who those highest carry guys are more likely to get hurt. Who's going to be their direct backup? Can we pick a direct backup? And then that's a guy you stash late in the draft. So when one of those guys, even if we don't know for sure who it's going to be, it's probably going to be one of them. When one of them goes down, we can take advantage of the guy who's stepping in. We're going to talk about some specific players. We're not here just to talk about the process because that's what it's all about is getting to the point where we can figure out who's most likely to get hurt, who's less likely to get hurt. And I mean, a lot in just looking through the players we're going to talk about today, and of course, it's not everybody. If you go to the DS injury guide, you can see every player. You can see projections for injury probability, which is technically the likelihood that a player will miss at least two quarters at some point this year. Then there's also the projected missed games, which looks at the likely severity of injuries. It looks like it looks at, you know, who's likeliest to suffer something significant versus what they have in their past. And those are not, they're not always in lockstep, right? That's what's interesting. If you look at these results, you know, you'll have a guy with a lower chance of injury than someone else, but a higher projected games miss. So again, that's that, that's that machine learning, doing all that fancy work. We, we trust <laughs> yeah. it. You know, we've, we have, we have back tested this and found that it is again, more predictive than basically any other way you want to go about predicting injuries. Definitely more predictive than just random guessing. So um, yeah, again, as you said, Matt, you can see all those numbers. If you go to the injury guide on drafttracks.com. Yeah. And machine learning, by the way, if you would ask me, why is Derrick Henry here in injury probability and down here in missed games projected? I'm going to say, I don't know. We'll pass it off to <laughs> someone else that can tell you, but yeah. it's not us. I'll try to find somebody who can answer it for yeah. you. I'm like, I don't know, because that's what the model says. That's what we say right now, though, right? Like, that's how my model put it out there. I don't know. Car- carries a lot of power, <laughs> those right. models. So let's get to the players. I think that's what people want to know about the most. And we'll go position by position, even though running back matters most. We're going to wait on running back and start with quarterback because we've got an interesting QB name that might be a significant injury risk this year. Yeah, Joe Burrow comes in with a 65% chance of an injury this season. And for quarterback, like there are very few quarterbacks that are even in the 30s. Um, actually, Carson Wentz and Tua Tagovailoa have higher percent chances of injury than Burrow, but that's it. He's, he's you know, the third highest injury risk at the position. We haven't projected for... 1.5 games missed this season. Just to compare Burrow to some of the other big name quarterbacks and even some of the rushing guys, which is interesting, like Josh Allen, 26%, Kyler Murray, 26%, Lamar Jackson, 9%. You think these rushing quarterbacks would have, and you know, 26% is on the higher end again, but you know, it's nowhere near Burrow at 65%. Uh, obviously, you have the November 2020 knee injury that's driving most of this for Joe Burrow, the ACL, MCL, PCL, and meniscus injuries to his left knee. Last year, though, he tweaked his right knee in week 17. We never got an official diagnosis for that. And then he sprained that same knee, the MCL in that same knee in the Super Bowl. So that right knee, I think, is driving some of this chance, too. So, you know, Burrow, again, among these higher-end quarterback ones, he's the one with pretty easily the highest injury risk. Yeah, and I don't know all the technicalities of it, but there are certainly some injuries that matter more for recurrence than others. If a guy 
ends the season with an injured hand, we don't really care about that right. next year unless it's specifically bothering him. But if it's a knee, if it's an ankle, if it's a hamstring, those are the kinds of things that we worry about year to year. Now, I will say I'm not overly worried about Joe Burrow here. Like you said, he's high for a quarterback. There are only four quarterbacks on the whole list that top 43%, I think mm-hmm. it is, or maybe top 45%. There you go. I put it in my notes for just that reason. Cam Newton's number one, and then it's Joe Burrow among several other starters. Just one and a half projected missed games, though. So it's not projecting Joe Burrow to miss a lot. It's saying he's more likely than most other quarterbacks to get hurt. He's 13th at the position in that specific category. Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson are all behind him in both of those categories, though. And I bring out those names because I think those are some of the guys you might be considering versus Joe Burrow in draft selection. And I think that's where it matters most. It's not take Joe Burrow off your board because of this high injury probability. It's I don't know. Should I take Joe Burrow or Dak Prescott here? I guess maybe I'll lean Dak Prescott because it looks like Joe Burrow is a greater risk for injury. Yeah, tiebreaker, I think, at most here for Burrow. Um, And I think quarterback is one of, if probably the most replaceable position during the right. season, right? Like on the waiver wire in a standard 10 or 12 team league. So if Burrow misses two games, you can survive. Um, this obviously impacts Jamar Chase and T. Higgins a little bit too. You know, it's, it's Brandon Allen as Cincinnati's backup. That's obviously a massive Don Garbage. He's got we, history with T. Higgins him. though. He does. He does. Yeah. Well, he, he made five starts in place of Burrow in 2020 when Burrow suffered that knee injury. 185 yards and one touchdown per game, 6.5 yards per time. Obviously, obviously a massive downgrade. So again, I'm... <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, we're not moving Chase or Higgins in our right. rankings because of it, but just something to keep in mind if you're, you know, a toss up between Chase and Jefferson at four or five or, you know, T. Higgins and Tyreek Hill. Um, I guess Hill's a bad example because his quarterback's an even bigger That's injury true. risk. We're not going to talk about Tua today, but, you know, he is one of the, he is the highest injury risk or the second highest injury risk. Although, um, is it a downgrade for Tyreek Hill <laughs> if Tua gets hurt and Teddy Bridgewater steps up? Maybe not. Less exactly. so than the, yeah. for the Bengals, at least. And again, that, yeah, it's a good point. Like the backup situation matters here, too. I think, you know, the backup situation in Miami to me is, is better than Cincinnati. And maybe even for your fantasy team, if you take Burrow, maybe it's more of a reason to to slap on a second quarterback at the end of the draft yep. where you might otherwise say, I'll go with one guy. Sure. And if he gets hurt, then we'll address that later. Yep. Now let's move to running backs, though, because that's far more interesting. And let's start with Christian McCaffrey, because he's the one who people are going to think of when they talk injury risk this year. 84% injury probability. So that sounds huge. It is 22nd among all running backs, though. And again, that's the chance that a player misses two plus quarters. So if you go and look at the running backs, most running backs are above 50% in chance of missing two plus quarters because that's just the position. Yeah, you want to make the case for going zero running back, just you know, point right. to the running back page on the injured guy because you'll see a lot of red and you know, a lot of guys with high projected games missed. But yeah, McCaffrey, I mean, if so if you compare him to the other running backs going like in the first two rounds of fantasy drafts, McCaffrey has a lower chance of injury than Austin Eckler, Joe Mixon, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones. You know, 2.2 projected games missed for Christian McCaffrey, lower than Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, James Conner, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones. So our numbers are saying, yeah, this guy's an injury risk, but all running backs are. McCaffrey is not like, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of these guys as far as risk goes heading into 2022. And the key takeaway for me is not, you know, avoiding all those guys that turn up as higher injury risk, because obviously only a few people are going to get a shot at McCaffrey. It's that importance of projected touches, because what's the big difference between McCaffrey and these other guys? Well, two big differences, really. The recent injury history and 
the fact that he gets a lot fewer carries than other round one running backs, he's probably going to get 100 fewer carries than Jonathan Taylor if they both are healthy throughout the season. Same with Derrick Henry. Probably same with Dalvin Cook, although I'm not sure we've seen a full healthy Dalvin Cook season to judge that. <laughs> but that's that's the, the takeaway here is those projected touches matter more than that recent injury history. And even if we just get granular, and this probably uh, this probably plays a smaller role in the calculation, but McCaffrey's injuries, even though he's had multiple, and even though he's had multiple lower body over the past two years, none of them have been direct recurrences. Mm-hmm. Nothing that he suffered last year was the same injury that he had the year before. Yeah, and the injury history is kind of heavy recently, but you look at his entire career, even going back to college, it's it's not compared to some of those guys. You know, we have six documented injuries for Christian McCaffrey. That's not a huge number. It's it's the recency bias, the fact that he's missed so much time the last couple of years, which does matter right. in the injury prediction stuff. Um, but, you know, for the better part of his football career, this guy's been healthy, and he's still only, what, 26 years old? Yeah, and there is some luck involved in injury. There's some bad luck in when it occurs. It's not always going to you know, happen on a certain schedule. So he's had those injuries. Maybe he got him out of the way and now he's ready to have a full healthy season this year. That's what we're hoping for. So if McCaffrey does go down, though, because there is still that 2.2 game projection, are you targeting anybody behind him in the Carolina backfield? I know we talked to the division preview. You can listen to that whole episode. But since we're talking about it now. I'm not as of now. If we get a clear winner between Chubba Hubbard and, and Dante Foreman over the next month here, um, then maybe that guy's worth a pick at the very end of drafts. But I, you're probably looking at a committee. Hubbard was not very good in place of McCaffrey last year. They signed Dante Foreman. He got just a one-year, $2 million deal. He was decent in Tennessee last year. He he might be more of the early down between the tackles guy, and you might have Hubbard doing more of the pass-catching stuff. Um, but, you know, Neither guy looks exciting for fantasy, even if McCaffrey's out. Yeah, and Foreman posted 300-yard games for the Titans after Derrick Henry went down last year, and then the Titans didn't bother trying to resign him. They let him walk. They replaced him with a third-day draft pick. Uh, he signed a small one-year contract with Carolina, so I agree. I think this is a committee. I think if McCaffrey were to go down, they would bring in somebody else, too, because neither Hubbard nor Foreman looks like a terrific pass catcher. Yeah, I mean, they're in, they're in trouble if McCaffrey goes down, as we, yeah. as we saw last year. Derrick Henry is next up on the list, and he is projected as a very high injury risk. Now, this let's look at the difference again between injury probability and projected missed games, because probability-wise, he's pretty high. Projected missed games, he's tied for 40th among running backs. Um, so it looks like Derrick Henry, just by virtue of probably getting more than 300 carries if he stays healthy, yep. is a good bet to miss some time here or there that's not a shock based on what we've talked about so far. Yeah, that's the driving factor with Henry's projection. We have him for 315 carries in 16 games this season. Um, so, you know, that again, that projected touches is the biggest indicator, the biggest predictor of injury in the coming season. So that's what's getting Henry here. He has been relatively healthy throughout his football career. I mean, he, he had the broken foot last year, obviously. Um, Broke his leg uh, in 2013 as a freshman at Alabama. Those are his only really two serious injuries as a pro. So, you know, it's nothing against you, Derek. It's just you're getting so many touches that makes you, you know, a pretty high risk for injury, which which we finally saw happen last year. And props to his legs for only breaking down every eight years carrying yeah, that much weight bad. around. Not bad. Um, so with that projection for Derek Henry, is that affecting your draft treatment of him at all? No, it's more... His age and the fact that we we saw some decline in efficiency mm-hmm. that, that I'm kind of backing off him in round one of fantasy drafts. It's again, again, it's 89% chance, but 
most of these running backs are up in right. the 80s. It's not, it's not, it doesn't stand, you know, well above the rest of these guys. I, and to me, this is another situation where there's not a true handcuff. Maybe it's Hassan Haskins. We'll kind of wait and see. I think the team probably would lean his way as the yeah. primary ball carrier. But Dontrell Hilliard was pretty good alongside Deontay Foreman and would be in line for more receptions right. both before and after uh, Henry went down. Yeah, Haskins is more in the Derrick Henry mold. You know, he's he's a power rusher, 220 pounds. So, you know, he'd be the closer one-for-one replacement. It, it, again, it's going to be a committee, like we said, in Carolina. If Henry goes down, Haskins probably getting the early down stuff. Hilliard doing the pass-catching work. If you are going to be scared off by injury somewhere in round one, I think Dalvin Cook is probably yep. the most likely guy to scare you off. And, you know, it, you can if you factor that in, you might want to take Dalvin Cook out of your round one consideration. He's tied for the highest probability of injury among all running backs and projected for 3.6 missed games, tied for eighth most of the position. So not only a good chance based on workload that he misses some time, but a good chance relative to others at the position because of the injury history he does bring that he misses significant time. Yeah, we talked about McCaffrey not having their recurring stuff. Dalvin Cook has the recurring stuff with his shoulder. So he has 12 total documented injuries on our injury guide. And you have double that of McCaffrey. Five of them are with his shoulder. He had shoulder injuries in 2014, 2016, 2019. And then, of course, last year he had the dislocated shoulder and the torn labrum in that shoulder. And he has the torn ACL back in 2017. So he has some serious stuff that, again, along with the fact that we do, do have him projected for quite a few touches per game this season, and that's def- definitely elevating this injury risk. He is a guy that I am you know, pushing down my rankings a bit because of this injury risk. I do think it's you know a tier above these other guys we've talked about so far. Yeah. Now, to be fair, if, if there were no injury risk here, he would probably be a top six pick. Yeah. So some of it is baked yep. into where he's going in round one. Obviously, there's still risk if you're looking at him because especially in that second half, you're then weighing him against more receivers, Travis Kelsey. So right. I think it's sensible if you just say, I'm not taking Dalvin Cook in round one. Maybe you miss out on big points, but maybe you also avoid the injury when it comes. And, you know, we talked about projected touches, days since last injury, injury history, all those factors working against Dalvin Cook. Yeah, for sure. Then, of course, we have Alex Madison, the obvious handcuff here. Right. Um to me, he's the best handcuff in fantasy. Like Tony Pollard and AJ Dillon could be awesome if Zeke and Aaron Jones go down. We've already guessing. we've already seen Madison be yeah. a top five fantasy running back without Dalvin Cook. So that's that's the case to draft him. He's one of the people that is making people focus more on handcuffs than they really should because they're like, Well, I'm gonna take him because you we've seen Dalvin Cook go down. Look yeah. what Alex Madison does. You're like, Yeah, but that's one of like the one situations yes. where we know for sure what's happening if Dalvin Cook goes down. Talented dude and they give him they <laughs> literally they, he, he gets a better role when Cook's out than Cook gets. Because mm-hmm. you know, Cook loses a little bit to Madison. Madison just soaks it all up when Cook misses time. Although some people say watch out for Kenny Nwangwu this year. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. see. Yep. DeAndre Swift is next up on the list, tied for 16th in injury probability, projected for 2.7 missed games. What do you got on Swift? Yeah, I just I wanted to highlight him because I think this is maybe higher than people would think because he has a younger back. Um, it doesn't have a huge injury history. He does have five documented injuries in our database. Um, two of those, two is groin, including that one that lingered all last summer, uh, kept him out of training camp for a lot of August. Um, then he had the shoulder injury that cost him four games last mm-hmm. year. So um, I guess, you know, Cook, maybe from an injury perspective, not as safe as some people would think. Just Swift, he's a yeah. younger guy. Swift, yep. Yeah, he's missed seven games through two seasons so far. And I think it's interesting this week. I guess it's last week now because we're on Monday. Dan Campbell basically openly pondering how to get DeAndre Swift ramped up and ready for the season. He said something last year about not giving him enough work 
um, before the season and then throwing too much at him immediately in week one and feeling like that started the wear down process. And it's clear that he's like, I want to make sure that we do this the right way. I'm not sure from his words that he knows what the right way is. And it's probably good that he doesn't think he knows what the right way is because I'm sure that there's not one single way to do it. So I want to see what they are going to do and maybe what more Dan Campbell says about the in-season workload management specifically, because if all he's thinking about is getting swift, I don't know, hit enough heading into the season so that he's ready for a bigger workload. That to me, doesn't seem like the sensible way to go as opposed to if he starts talking about managing that in-season workload to keep him fresh all year, that's where we have to, I think, pay more attention because that can more specifically limit the touches that might make him a favorite pick yeah. early in round two. Yeah, well, we want the catches for Swift, right? right? Like we've talked about, you know, give him fewer total touches, but give him those touches in the passing game. You know, he's better there. He, you know, he was, we won't get too deep into Swift, but he was not very good as a runner last year. They still mm-hmm. have Jamal Williams, who I feel like at this time last year was kind of a trendy pick as like a quasi handcuff, quasi standalone guy. No one wants him this year, yeah. where, you know, uh, Williams played three games without Swift last year. He averaged 17 targets in mm-hmm. those three games, you know, gave you a few top 20 seven fantasy finishes so um to me williams is still a guy i'm interested in late in drafts and you know again the swift injury prediction here um you know kind of kind of backs that up i think yeah i think he got obscured a bit by some of the the smaller name running backs factoring in but it still looks like jamal williams the most direct comparison but by the way jamal williams an even bigger injury risk in terms of probability but we don't care about that really for a guy that you're taking as rb5 or six exactly Devontae adams leads off the wide receivers for us and why is that jared no one talks about the fact that Adams, like, he's missed time in six of eight NFL seasons. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's had nothing serious, but he has 10 injuries in our database here. Three concussions, three ankle injuries, two right knee injuries. Um, we have him for the an, worst 12 days of Christmas I've ever heard, <laughs> by the way. We have him for an 83% chance of injury this season, which, you know, you compare that to some of the guys at the top of the draft he's going around. Cooper Cup, 75%, so just a bit lower. Mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson, 61%. Uh, Jamar Chase, 34%. And 3.6 projected games missed for Devonte Adams, which is you know nearly double or triple those other you know top three wideouts he's going behind. So that, that that's definitely a factor, and I know Adams is going behind those three guys anyways. But I I do you know the numbers say that he's a pretty significantly bigger injury risk than those top three wideouts. Yeah, and if I'm going to weigh him too against Stephon Diggs, I think this is a mark against Devonte Adams. You know, part of the higher percentage is that he's projected for more targets than nearly all wide receivers. That matters a little bit less at wide receiver than it does at running back, at least a little bit. I don't want to lose sight of the missed games there because there is a significant injury history there. There's, beyond the stuff you mentioned, there's also an ankle sprain back there, hamstring, turf toe, knee strain. So there's some stuff behind him. It has not been a clean bill of health, and some of that has been easy to overlooked because of all the touchdowns he scored with Aaron Rodgers. So uh, maybe it's just like one more small thing. If you are not totally comfy with Devontae Adams at that one, two turn, it's like one more red flag to push you toward the other guy that you have very close for me. It's Stefan Diggs. And I think I'm taking Stefan Diggs over Devontae Adams most of the time in that range. Yeah. Diggs and Lamb are probably the better comps than the ones I was giving with Cup, Jefferson, and Chase. So, you know, we have Stefan Diggs at a 39% chance of injury versus, again, Adams at 83. CeeDee Lamb, 24% chance of injury. Nice. So, you know, those guys easily beat Adams as far as injury risk goes. Mm-hmm. T. Higgins is the next wide receiver we have listed and a 91% injury probability on him with also a pretty decent-sized projected number of games missed. Yeah, 3.9 projected games missed for Higgins. Is, is he playing he's, running back this year? Is yeah, he the yeah, Debo this, Samuel this season? This is one of the more surprising ones because we don't see this high of number on wide receivers very often. And we have Higgins for a nice 
target volume, but it's not near not the top huge. of the league. Yeah, um, but you do look at his his injury history. So six documented injuries for T. Higgins, three hamstrings, one back at Clemson, two in the NFL, two ankle injuries, one at Clemson, one in the NFL, and then he had that torn labrum in his left shoulder. Mm-hmm. Last year that he played through, uh, but ended up having surgery in March. Back to 100% now, but I think that's definitely being factored into the injury risk here. So, man, we got Burrow, you know, up there for quarterback. Higgins up there at wide receiver. Um, I I want to draft the guy. I, I think he's a stud. I think you know the gap between him, him and Chase isn't as big as a lot of people think. Um, but this is this definitely makes you think before you know clicking that Higgins button during a draft. Yeah, and there's been I don't I don't know if you hit hamstring, but he's had hamstring issues October 2019, December 2020, and January 2021. So I would imagine that that factors in as well. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just kind of with the market on T Higgins. He's not a target for me where he's going anyway, even before I get to the injury stuff. And I also don't want to be totally out because you know, like we said at the top, these are just probabilities. Even if it's 91%, that doesn't mean that he's definitely going to miss some time. And again, it's the probability of missing two plus quarters. So Higgins could easily miss half a game and no other time. And that probability factor is correct in that case. And it doesn't actually impact your fantasy team beyond that one week. So, you know, make sure to keep those factors in mind. Again, when you put it all together, I agree. It's just like if you're considering T. Higgins versus Tyreek Hill, Maybe you go ahead with Tyreek Hill, especially because I think the ceiling is higher on Tyreek Hill between those two guys. Yeah, and to me, more than downgrading Higgins, this is a reason to maybe be more interested in Tyler Boyd than you know you were before. Yeah. Um, if I mean, if Tyler Boyd's the number two receiver in this Bengals offense, and and we did get two games of Boyd without Higgins last season early on, um, four catches, thirty six yards, and a touchdown on six targets, nine catches, one hundred eighteen yards on eleven targets. Boyd's still a really good player. The concern is just volume playing mm-hmm. behind Higgins and Chase. You know, if Higgins goes down, Boyd, Boyd's going to be someone you're going to want in your starting lineup every week. And uh, yet, to be fair, like we spent a lot of time saying this guy's better in best ball. I think Tyler Boyd is a better lineup setting pick because he's not a good target for those spike weeks that we want on our best ball rosters. But if either T Higgins or Jamar Chase goes down, Tyler Boyd should be in for a really big uh, volume boost. And of course, we know that's the biggest driver for him. He's the shorter range guy, but a very reliable receiver. So if we're getting eight to 10 targets a week for Tyler Boyd, suddenly he's a much more attractive. He's like Jacoby Myers in a much better offense with probably more talent. And it's about time we stop talking about best ball all the time and get to some you know, <laughs> right. lineup setting leagues because it is August. Exactly. Mike Williams, speaking of best ball, is next on the list and looks – he maybe he's more risky than T. Higgins or maybe he's not depending on the two projections <laughs> we got here. Yeah, right. Again, this is where it's interesting. 93% chance of injury for Mike Williams, so a couple percentage points higher than T. Higgins, but just 2.9 projected games missed, so a full, you know, fewer game missed than we have for T. Higgins. Um, you know, Williams' injury history is scary. A lot of it is with his back and neck. He had that, you know, serious neck injury, a C6 vertebrae fracture um, in the 2015 season at Clemson. Then, he, you know, he's had lingering back stuff in the NFL, uh, mild disc herniation in his lower back in 2017. And then he had more minor back issues, issues in both 2019 and 2020. So uh, this one hurts for me to see because I love drafting Mike Williams. I do love the weekly upside, but, you know, it's tough to argue against him being, you know, one of the bigger injury risks among among these, you know, top end wide receivers. He's a player that I'm kind of glad he has climbed as high as he has in ADP because when he's sitting there at like wide receiver 18, like, oh, Mike Williams could do some stuff from there. But when he's like wide receiver 12, I'm like, uh, that's a little expensive. There are guys that I can rely on more and I can just take a running back here and push off that decision to round four and take guys like Terry McLaurin, you know, who are similar, at least in terms of what the ceiling is. So. 
Uh, Mike Williams, he, he's going to be a very interesting player to watch this year. But th- this is just one more reason where I'm like, ah, that's that's just really expensive for Mike Williams. And I think Josh Palmer is a name we need to talk about here. And if we do expect Mike Williams to miss some time this season, it seems like Palmer has the number three wide receiver job pretty much locked up over Jalen Gutton. Uh, he, he had a nice spring off to a nice start in training camp. I, I wonder, though, if he's the direct replacement for Mike Williams. So, you know, does a lot of that downfield stuff. Do the Chargers mix in Jalen Guyton a bit more because he has that speed if Williams misses time. So um, Palmer's a guy I like. Again, I want pieces of this Chargers offense. Um, but I'd be curious just to see if Williams misses time, you know, how big of a role boost just does Josh Palmer get? Yeah, I think Palmer is uh, interesting in a similar way to Tyler Boyd. I don't think that he would get as direct a target boost as Tyler Boyd would get yeah. in the case of an injury in Cincinnati, because I think it would get spread around a little bit, you know, slightly more to Keenan Allen, a little bit more to Josh Palmer, a few targets to Jalen Guyton. I do think Jalen Guyton's more of the direct downfield replacement, but I don't think he's ever going to be a high target guy. He's going to be more like what MVS was for the Packers. And then, you know, Gerald Everett there too, Austin Eckler. So, you know, some... It'll be some diffusion of it, but I do think that Josh Palmer would be the most interesting of the non-Keenan Allen guys in that case. Yeah, plenty of weapons there where, you know, I don't think we'd be projecting Palmer for a massive target share, but he'd still probably be someone that we're starting in, you know, lineup setting fantasy leagues if if Mike Williams misses time this season. Yeah, and again, makes more sense to me as a later round lineup setting pick than he does for best ball, because I don't think he's had the spike weeks to be better than the guys that he's going around. I don't have those ADPs in front of me at the moment, but like if I can take Josh Palmer or wait two rounds and take William Fuller, I mean, there's no comparison in terms of ceiling. Is Fuller ever going to, you know, he's going to sign with the chargers and then this whole, this whole conversation about Palmer would be moot. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Um, That's it for wide receivers. So we've got two tight ends to wrap up the specific players. And the first tight end is probably not going to surprise anybody. Yeah. George Kittle. um, Our numbers agree with what you probably think that he's, you know, one of, if not the biggest injury risk, he's definitely the biggest injury risk among the high end tight ends in fantasy drafts. So 92% chance of injury for George Kittle. By comparison, Travis Kelsey, 42%. Mark Andrews, 35%. Kyle Pitts up at 73%. We're not going to talk about him. Maybe we should have because that's kind of interesting. Um, Darren Waller, 41%. 3.1 projected games missed for George Kittle. Um, and again, you know he's he's missed 14 games through five NFL seasons. Long injury history, history 10 documented injuries in our guide. Um, so yeah, no, no surprise here, but I guess just confirmation that Kittle is, you know, the biggest injury risk among these elite fantasy tight ends. And of course, his play style is not going to yep. help anything because he doesn't know how to not go hard after it. I will say he at least gets a five in durability rating that you talked about earlier. So that's as high as our rating system goes in that category. And that's basically the ability of a player to play through minor injuries. So, you know, it's significant for George Kittle to come off the field for it. That's been the indication from Kyle Shanahan, too. He's like, we got to keep him from practicing today because if it's up to him he's never going to leave the field that's almost the worst though when the guys are playing through injuries (laughs) at least if they're inactive the decision's made for you it's like when kiddo's playing through a questionable tag after missing practice all week that that's always a tough call in fantasy lineups i think that all of the minor red flags on george kittle are already kind of built into where he's going like if everything were the same for him as it had been before this season he would be the tight end three or four He's consistently tight end five and can even drop behind some other guys. And, you know, even just yeah. looking at the the tight ends in order, he's a little bit farther back from the group ahead of him. So I think it's built in some. If you don't want Kittle, that's OK. And you can see by our rankings, we're not high on Kittle versus where everybody else is. I think maybe the most significant thing for me 
in looking at the injury risk for Kittle is a boost to Ayuk because Brandon Ayuk is going far enough down the wide receiver ADP that it's okay to even reach past what the rankings say. And if Kittle were to go down, it's a target boost for him. And Debo Samuel is going too early for it to be a boost for him. So that's that's the one takeaway. It doesn't make me target Brandon Ayuk specifically, but it makes me slightly more interested. That, that's the upside case for all three of these Niners guys because they're all big talents. Our concern with all of them is just they're all big talents. They all are going to demand targets, and this is going to be one of the run-heaviest offenses in the NFL with potentially questionable quarterback play from Trey Lance. But if any one of these three guys gets hurt, then I think the other two guys get big boosts. We saw last year Debo Samuel 29 targets in three games without George Kittle. Brandon Ayuk was still in the doghouse at that point, but we can look back to 2020. He played four games without Kittle over the second half of the season. I think Debo missed some of these games too, but Ayuk had 52 targets in those four games. So, you know, it's a concentrated passing game with these three. If it goes down to two, then, you know, these guys become a lot easier to trust in in fantasy lineups and and the ceilings get a whole lot higher. Yeah. And so when you're looking at a group like that, the guy who's going well behind the others, it's like, well, there's just not a whole lot of risk to taking a shot because if he doesn't pan out, then it's not killing me from that range. And mixed signals on Ayuk in training (laughs) camp so far. Grant Cohn told us it hasn't been pretty. There's been some other uh, Niners insiders who have said he's he's played well. So that's kind of Ayuk's career in a nutshell, I think, though. That's what it sounds like. If you take everything in, it it sounds like everybody sees him and they're like, this guy could be really good. The question is if he's ready to let himself be really good. That's a huge red flag on somebody. But it also means that if the light finally goes on, then you could get a breakout type of season. Yeah. And like you said, you can accept that red flag when he's going, you know, wide receiver 42 or, or whatever he is. Right. One more tight end, and just to round things out on an exciting note, TJ Hawkinson, because I think everybody gets fired up when you start to start, start talking TJ Hawkinson, especially hairdressers, <laughs> 74% injury probability. That's still kind of high for tight end, but it's not super high versus other guys around him. So, Jared, is it something to maybe not worry about where we thought we might have needed to? Maybe, although he has the 3.7 projected games missed, which is the fourth highest among fantasy relevant tight ends. So it's a little worrisome. Uh, we have six documented injuries for TJ Hawkinson. Uh, the, the biggest ones, he missed four games as a rookie with an ankle. Then he missed five games last year with the thumb injury that ended up requiring surgery for mm-hmm. Hawkinson. So, um, yeah, he's another guy I'm not downgrading because of injury risk. Um, but, you know, he's, he's definitely not one of the safer top tight ends in fantasy drafts. Yeah, it was the thumb injury. He has missed nine of a possible 49 games through three seasons, though, so it's certainly been an issue for him. Knee and ankle issues, I think, from earlier last season are more worrisome than the thumb, you know, unless we get a report that the thumb is a problem again. He also had a preseason shoulder injury last year. There's a toe injury in November 2020, a season-ending ankle injury in November 2019, so that's those lower body injuries that we have to worry about recurrences of. So we'll see. He's another guy, like you said, I'm not adjusting, but I haven't been excited to draft him at any point so far this year. He's he's just kind of like a like a, a safety net pick. Yeah. If I get to round seven and I don't like anything that's on the board and I don't have a tight end yet, I'm like, all right, fine, I'll take TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, Dallas Goddard significantly lower in both uh, chance of injury and projected games missed, so I'm happy to see that. Um, I, and I think the Hawkinson injury risk is maybe a slight mark in favor of Amon Ra, St. Brown. You know, I think 
he and Hawkinson operate in the same areas of the field. That's, mm-hmm. you know, I think one of the concerns with St. Brown this season is that he did a lot of that damage last year without TJ Hawkinson. What does that target tree look like when with both those guys on the field? Yeah, you combine the injury risk on Hawkinson, injury risk on DeAndre Swift, who's another short range receiver, and yeah. the falling ADP on Amon Ross St. Brown, at least falling from the beginning of draft season, not necessarily currently falling. I, I think he has gotten more interesting than he was early in the year when he was in low wide receiver two territory. For sure, I agree. Anybody else before we duck out of this? No, we can't give anything else away. You got to go check out the page yourselves if you want to see all these injury histories, all these injury risks. That's right. The Draft Sharks Injury Guide is exclusive to DraftSharks.com. It is exclusive to DraftSharks subscribers. So if you haven't done so, you got to head over to the site now. Become a DS Insider. I mean, it's August, folks. What are you waiting for? If you haven't done so by now, your drafts are basically tomorrow. You've got to get in so you have time to consume everything, get your board set up, and then just dominate people in your league to the point where they're like, what the hell did Larry learn since last year? <laughs> Rankings are updated um, You know, for the Deshaun Watson news. I moved Isaiah Pacheco up the rankings last night for some buzz on him. You know, he's, he might be working his way into the number two spot in that depth chart. So, again, you're not going to find more updated rankings. Whenever your draft is, you can you can be sure that, you know, the draft war room is going to be ready for you. And even though Pacheco is not somebody that I knew about or, like, liked heading into the NFL draft, I'm glad to have another name in there so I don't have to just be like, yeah, I don't like Jarek McKinnon because he's not that good. <laughs> yeah. I actually have somebody else who I can say <laughs> it might be that guy instead of Jarek McKinnon. Anything that keeps us off of Ronald Jones. <laughs> That's right. For Jared Smola and the rest of the the Draft Sharks crew. I'm Matt Shop saying thanks so much for swimming with us.